What's up, everyone, and welcome to Under 1000's new series, Versus Mode. I'm your host, Sam LeBlanc. Uh, with Jacob shirking his duties in favor of getting married and going on a honeymoon, I've commandeered full control of the podcast. As part of my new reign of terror, I've decided to subject you all to the absolute worst takes I have on all things gaming-related. Opinions that seem almost designed to elicit physical violence from the people who have to witness them, and ideas that are a condemnation of the human brain's ability to effectively process sensory input. These rancid, spicy takes won't go unopposed, though. For each of these opinions, I'll be assembling crack teams of guests specifically tasked with telling me how and in what ways I am horribly wrong and should be banned from the airwaves for thought crimes. Finally, to preserve the indie-first spirit of the show, I'll be giving an indie-instead option, indie games that I recommend playing instead of the subject of my ire. So, let's get to the hill that I'll almost be certainly be dying on slash murdered on today, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I hated it, and I talked to some people who didn't. Uh, and I want to be clear, I'm not just saying that I, I don't think it's a masterpiece, I just don't think it's even a great game. Um, before the show devolves entirely into shouting, though, I'll let my opponents introduce themselves. Um, so guys, feel free to give me your name, accolades, I'm not going to be vetting any of this, so you know, say whatever you want. Okay, I'll start. My name is Will. Um, I've been playing video games for most of my life, and some of my earliest video game memories are Legend of Zelda. It's a very dear series to me uh, outside that. Uh, I'm also a big music guy. I've been super into music for about 10 years and really into film for about five years. Um, beyond that, I don't have any really specific titles or achievements to share. I just like stuff. <laughs> nice. This is also not the first time we've collaborated on games. Uh, you wrote an article for an game. early... Yeah, yeah, you actually wrote a review for this particular game for uh, an early attempt of mine at uh, getting game reviews out there. So you are qualified to talk about this for sure. Uh, next up, Dan? Yeah, my name's Dan Pennington. Uh, journalist, former food critic. Uh, Legend of Zelda is kind of the uh, game of my lifetime. I've got a whole shelf of like collectibles, figurines, collector's editions. Uh, I'm very excited. To it, jump in on this one. Things I did not know before I agreed to let you argue with me about Zelda. So. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> this is kind of my... There's, I, I've got a really sad fact I can drop, which is way back in the MySpace days, uh, I was an admin of the second largest Legend of Zelda group on MySpace and was well known for my long-form timeline theories. So Holy shit, I am doomed. I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> My arrogance is going to be my downfall here. It's uh, a wonder I'm single. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. And finally, we've got John. Howdy, listeners. Uh, my name is John. I am a wife guy, cat dad, writer, and DM from North Carolina. Uh, I've also been playing video games my entire life. Zelda, among some of my most beloved, along with boomer shooters and old school real-time strategy games, uh, I can not quite one-up Dan, but I had a pretty similar experience. I was actually a moderator and administrator on the on Zelda Fan Game Central as a teenager, uh, where the first ever documented attempt, it was never finished, uh, surprise, at making Ocarina of Time 2D was based. Mm, uh, wow. So, yeah. Holy mm. shit. Yeah, buddy. Wow. Uh, um, yeah, and it definitely, it never came out. And neither did any of the other Zelda fan games, frankly. I think I saw maybe two or three released there. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm a Zelda guy, uh, suffice it to say. So I'm looking forward to this. 
<laughs> yeah, all right. I had no concept of how fucked I was going into this. So, all right, great. Um, so, at the very least, we can start on common ground. I think many, many people, you guys included in your intros, completely unprompted, basically, cite The Legend of Zelda as a cornerstone of their gaming experience. Uh, Link to the Past was the second game I ever played, and mm-hmm. I think Ocarina of Time was probably the biggest, like, cultural touchstone I had growing up. You know, like, had the, the guide, uh, I, I used to take Taekwondo, and I shouted, like, Link, you know, in Taekwondo, much to everyone's annoyance, like, just, uh, you know, it, The Legend of Zelda was a cornerstone of a lot of people's, like, you know, gaming experience. It's probably the same for you guys, right? Like, Can we get a Link shout now? That's the first thing I just want to ask you. Um, uh, It's been years. Uh, maybe, you know what? I, if you if you change my mind, I will give you the Link shout. That okay, will be the all right. Yeah, uh, we have, we have stakes now. Okay. So. Hmm. All right, all right. Uh, yeah. yeah, I would agree with you. I think that Ocarina of Time in particular was, like, a pretty important pop culture artifact for a lot of mm-hmm. people growing up, particularly millennials, because I think it was like, especially if you played on consoles, it was the the probably the biggest world you'd really seen up to that point. Like, you know, CRPGs and stuff on PC games have been doing bigger worlds than that for mm-hmm. quite some time. But like when I stepped on the Hyrule Field for the first time, I was blown away. And before I played Ocarina of Time, the only other Zelda game I'd played was Link to the Past, which was obviously incredibly impressive in its own way. And frankly, I think it aged better than Ocarina. Uh, but really nothing technically compared to Ocarina of Time. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I've was. i actually been replaying Ocarina of Time in the last two weeks on the uh, virtual, not not the virtual console, Nintendo Switch Online. Uh, and the only drawback to it has been Joy-Con drift. But <laughs> um, I Yikes. basically tend to, in my own gaming habits, spend more time revisiting old games than playing new ones. And the 3D Zeldas, I just kind of cycle through them, whichever one that's been the longest time since I've played, that's the next one I do. So next after this, it'll probably be Twilight Princess. Nice, nice. But yeah, to to add to what John was saying about Ocarina of Time as a cultural touchstone, I also think that, yeah, to me it occupies a similar place in video gaming as, like, The Godfather would in film. In the <laughs> okay. sense that whenever you see somebody make a list of the greatest of all time, there's like a... 50% chance that number one is going to be that. And yeah. like every five years or so, there's uh there'll be a call to like reevaluate that and say like, well, are we sure that Ocarina of Time is really the best? I mean, I don't think everybody agrees that it is the single best game of all time anymore, but people, mm-hmm. many people, including myself still say that it's probably the best Zelda. Um, but I mean, for a yeah. while there, people were saying, you know, we've decided Majora's Mask is better now. And I can certainly understand the resurgence in popularity for Majora's Mask. But anyway, I'm, I think I'm getting a little off topic. But I, I think, too, that similar to The Godfather, it's like, even if you don't necessarily think it's the goat, like, if somebody else says it's the goat, you're like, okay, that's fair. You know, yeah. like, I don't think Ocarina of Time's the greatest game of all time. I don't even think it's the best Zelda. But, you know, it's a pretty fucking great game and a really yes. important one. So, like, if you put it at number one, it's like, yeah, that's that's totally fair, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you guys touched on pretty much the majority of what uh, Ocarina of Time stands for. It really has been this timeless classic that just holds out. Like, you can still pick it up today and it, you know, look at something. Okay, sorry, I'm my brain's all jumbled. You look at something like Donkey Kong 64 and like, <laughs> conceptually, <laughs> we all remember that game being super fun and great. And then we go back to play it and realize that it might be one of the worst designed games in terms of controls and like something over a thousand collectibles Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. there's just yes it's overwhelming 
you go back and play Ocarina of Time and it still feels like it was built in a modern system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I will say DK rap does hold up. Rest of the DK game, rap no. always holds up. Ocarina of Time does not have a coconut gun that can fire when it's first. So, uh, <laughs> yes. That's actually, a, yeah, a widely regarded as one flaw is the lack of coconut guns. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I mean, that's so good. We're on common ground here. We all agree. And I think like, I, I like that you guys pointed out that it's pretty much an acceptable cultural opinion to have Ocarina of Time or one of its siblings as, you know, the greatest game of all time, your favorite game. So like Zelda in general, huge, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, so I want to ask you guys specifically, because I think the crux of our argument today is going to be this. What about Zelda appeals to you? And if you're, we're in Plato's, you know, realm of forms and you see the platonic <laughs> ideal of a Zelda game, what, what do you see? I think for me, it's a sense of discovery. The, the okay. idea that like, you're you're in this, like, delightful, quirky world, and you're on, like, a little adventure. It's almost like, you know, Miyamoto said when he was making Zelda, the first one, that he was inspired by, like, adventures he had in the woods as a Mm -hmm. kid. And it's like, yeah, like, everything you find there, it's like, you never know what you're gonna find. You you find, like, a cool-looking rock, or, like, maybe there's, like, an abandoned car in the woods or something, or, like, a way to another neighborhood. And it's like, it makes you feel like you're just kind of like on your own exploring the wilderness and you never know what you're going to find. That to me is what's always been really appealing about Zelda is just the idea that like, it's, it's just, it's about exploration at its Mm -hmm. core. Exactly. It's that level of wonder that you really don't know what's going around the next corner. You, you can be on your toes constantly. And something about the way they build that world and the way they build their dungeons and characters, you're always going to be surprised. Mm. I mean, even Tingle is (laughs) arguably the most jarring break from reality in those games. And he fits in seamlessly because they built this sense of anything can happen in here. And a really (laughs) important part of my sexual awakening, too. I mean, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Him and David Bowie both had the bulges, and all of a sudden my brain went, ha ha. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, all right. I think for me, I would say the I would definitely agree with the sense of exploration and discovery, um, not just on a finding a new dungeon or a new town, but finding. I, I enjoyed in Ocarina of Time often just finding out that I could get up to a point that I couldn't get to before. Like I found out yeah. that there's a raised point in Kakariko village that if you jump off of the right thing with a cuckoo, you can get up there and there's no reason to do it, but you can see that town from a different angle that you couldn't see it from before. Um, combined with, I really like the fantasy setting when I was a little kid. Um, I, I knew absolutely nothing about medieval times or anything like that, but I thought the idea, like what little I did know of knights and swords and castles and stuff was really cool and i think i had the idea originally that that's zelda was going to be knights and swords and castles and i mean to be fair there are swords and castles but Mm -hmm. it's definitely not like it's no game of thrones or anything like that but at any rate i i that is probably what appealed to me before i really knew what i was getting into and then after i got it uh i really loved the gameplay loop of exploring a world um finding a new tool and using it to access parts of the world I couldn't find before, or even to reach things that I could see before, but couldn't get to, which is kind of like a Metroidvania type, uh, 
gameplay aspect as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think I think hearing all of you sort of describe this, it, the reason that you're on the side of the argument that you are makes a lot of sense. You know, the player-driven exploration, <laughs> even necessarily if there's not, you know, a reward for it in the game per se, um, that sort of open-endedness, that feeling of discovery for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, to be transparent, like, I, I for, for me... I think that's a difference and that's where the big divide is. And for me, it was sort of more about the mythology, the personal level storytelling. Um, I really liked the, I really liked that everything was a puzzle that felt very bespoke. So like when it, when I think about Ocarina of Time, I think about the temples as these singular, like, you know, you step in the forest temple and there is nothing like it. There is just, that's the Mm -hmm. forest temple. It's a creepy haunted, you know, mansion in the woods with haunted paintings and things like that. You step in the, you know, fire temple and it's this sort of quasi-industrial iron and chains, you know, different aesthetic and sort of seeing those different, like I said, bespoke because they were really modeled after, I think, um, uh, puzzle boxes. So Mm -hmm. they were all sort of very carefully designed and the bosses themselves were also puzzles as well in their own way, usually employing whatever item you found in the dungeon. So that was really the formula for me combined with this, you know, sort of rich mythology and very personal level storytelling between the characters that appealed to me. And it's also why Majora's Mask for me is, you know, equal with Ocarina of Time because I feel like Mm -hmm. that was one of the ones that was alike in a lot of those ways. Yeah, I think if you're a dungeon guy, it's no wonder you're disappointed in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm going to start off with uh, introing the game a little bit uh, just to get some background. So Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild released March 3rd, 2017 as both the flagship title for the Switch and the final game to be developed by Nintendo for the Wii U. It was originally designed only for the Wii U, but essentially they got an email saying, hey, we've decided to push to the Switch after two delays. So good luck. Gambare. You know, you got it. <laughs> um <laughs> It was developed, of course, by Nintendo with aid from uh, Monolith Soft, who had previously assisted with a number of other Nintendo games, including uh, Animal Crossing, Skyward Sword, and A Link Between Worlds. Um, it was met with basically universal acclaim, and it's considered by many to be a masterpiece of the medium. Um, and a lot of people cite its chemistry and physics engines as revolutionary, which, frankly, I agree with. Um, the game takes place at the end of the Zelda timelines. Uh, timelines plural because I'm sure one of you guys can explain it better but uh, that canonicity is a nightmare with Zelda so uh, it sees our archetypical hero Link awakening after a hundred year slumber and exploring a wild open world uh, incarnation of Hyrule Uh, we're gonna go light on story spoilers for now but I'll say that Link basically has to travel around regaining his own memories and gathering allies across the land to face Calamity Ganon who spends the entire game sealed in Hyrule Castle sort of waiting to be confronted at any time um, did I miss anything big there? Any, any holes, any slants that I'm already, you know, sort of falling prey to? Uh, yeah, you missed the fact that it revolutionized open world games and open world design will never be the same after Breath of the Wild came out. Uh, you, you did miss that. Okay, well, one of my first gripes we'll get to is the open world status of the game. Um, but I do want to cover one more piece of background, which is that um, you guys have probably seen it. I rewatched it just a, a little while ago. But in 2017, two days prior to the game's launch, um, there was a game developer conference talk by Hiramaro Fujibayashi, the game director, uh, Satoru Takizawa, the art director, and Takuhiro Dota, the technical director. Um, and each of them sort of took an aspect of the, at the time, upcoming Breath of the Wild and talked a little bit about their part in it. Um, and ultimately, I think you guys have touched on some of the t- themes, which were the return to the, the adventure of Link, you know, open-ended exploration. Um, uh, experimentation was a big aspect of it. Um, and then I think the, the really... Your, what you guys liked about the Zelda games mirrored what um, Fujibayashi 
what his goal was. You know, he was very clear in that talk about, uh, I want players to be able to see a place, go to that place and explore it. I want there to be discovery. I want there to be experimentation. I want that delight of finding new ways to do things. Uh, I mean, have you guys seen that? Is that pretty much, is that fair to say? Yeah. 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 I think they actually specifically said they were inspired by the original Legend of Zelda. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, listeners, if you haven't seen that, I would definitely go check it out. It's just a, an incredibly interesting talk for anybody who's interested in games. They made like a 2D prototype of Breath of the Wild with all of its systems in place to try them out. Uh, that's really neat to see. Uh, and it's just a, a you know cool piece of, of, uh, of game analysis. Um, so moving on to criticisms. Uh, and this is where it's going to get real spicy. Um, oh <laughs> yeah, so um, getting to my issues with the game. Let's start initially right off the bat with, uh, John, what you brought up, which is the concept of it being a revolutionary open world game. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so before I go into it any further, since you jumped on that, go <laughs> ahead and you know, lay out why you, know, why you said that. Yeah. So I think so. open world games have historically been, I think, one of two times. Um, you're, you've either got like your, your sort of role playing open world, like something like, say, Morrowind or Oblivion or even going back further to, like, Daggerfall or even, like, earlier games like Fallouts or Wasteland where, like, you're going around the open world because there are things to do in the open world. You know, like, I'm going to go here and do this thing. You have quests. And, mm-hmm. yeah, the quest design isn't universal across all those games, but it's basically, like, you the world serves as a vehicle from which to derive quests. Then you have open action games, like, say, Grand Theft Auto, where the world itself kind of is the point in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, yeah, you have missions around, like, Vice City or Liberty City or wherever that you're going to go and do, but it's also fun to just, like, interact with the world. Like, what would happen if I ran over this group of pedestrians? Or what would happen if I threw my car off this roof? You know, it's it's supposed to be like a playground type thing. It's like a sandboxy type aspect. Yeah, I would say, Mm -hmm. like, a quest vehicle versus a sandbox. And I think mm-hmm. what Breath of the Wild did, or I think before that, I think that in the years leading up to Breath of the Wild, as open world games were starting to get really popular with the Xbox One and PS4 generation, there, there, my, my biggest example of this is The Witcher 3, in that it's a game where you follow dotted lines on a map <laughs> to specific events that occur within the open world. The open world doesn't really serve a purpose. It's mm-hmm. not really there to... It's more so just, like, window dressing for all the quests that are in it. And I think that what Breath of the Wild did that open world games in this generation haven't done, really, is that exploring the world is the point of the game. Like, yes. there, there, there's not really... there are yeah you, like, yeah, you have quests, but they're not explicitly laid out for you. You don't follow a dotted line. You don't, you're not just, like, shepherded through the world. You're encouraged to go through the world and kind of follow where your heart takes you. Like, yes. if you want to go climb up a mountain, do it. If you want to check out that cool village in the distance, do it. You see a fire over there? Oh, what is that? Go check it out. And the game is, instead of teaching you, instead of telling you how to play, it, like, encourages you to kind of find the joy for yourself and then provide you ways to do that. And yes. I think the way it was revolutionary, I think that the first game I've really seen post-Breath of the Wild that I think really learned from it is actually Elden Ring. Uh, because mm-hmm. Elden Ring, you know, the, the Souls games have historically never been one to hold your hand. But I think Elden Ring really owes a lot to Breath of the Wild in the way that it encourages you to just go out in the world and just go in one direction and just see what you find. A- yes. And 
and like the joy of doing that, of venturing into the unknown, of not knowing what's going to be around the corner. You don't have a quest marker or anything like that. You're just like, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to go check it out. Mm -hmm. um, so I think right. Breath of the Wild in that way did really change the open world game in a way that I don't think we're, we haven't really seen yet. Um, yes. Especially and with Ubisoft still putting out, you know, <laughs> shitty games. God knows, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah, what what I would add to that also, you were discussing comparing it to The Witcher 3, and a lot of um, a lot of the ideas I have about this, you know, I I, I could feel and appreciate on my own, but a, a, a video I saw that really explained it very well was done by Game Maker's Toolkit that helped me kind of put... Uh, put the feelings that I had about how the game worked into words. And he, he did mention the Witcher three as an example of you following the, uh, yellow floating dotted line from objective mm -hmm. to objective. I would also compare, uh, the direction of modern open world games prior to breath of the wild to the Assassin's Creed games specifically. Yeah. And, and I am not, let me just say real quick, I'm not, um, very well versed in Assassin's Creed at all, but I know that it's a popular, uh, method of gameplay these days in open world games to have a large world divided into regions and in those regions you don't get the map until you climb a tower and activate <laughs> something and then the game fills in the map for you. The difference yep. is when you do that in mini games um, you fill in the tower and then if you look at your map you'll have a bunch of little things on there. There's red dots here, 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 and here. That means that if you go to those places, there will be a guy there who will give you a side quest. There's blue mm -hmm. dots here, 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 and here. That's enemy outposts that you can clear out. There's yellow dots here, 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 and here. That's, uh, you know, that's places where you can find resources. It's it's sure. already saying, like, okay, great job. You, you killed the enemies. You climbed the tower. Your reward is this list of things that you can go do now if you want to. And I'm the <laughs> kind of guy who has to do everything. <laughs> so when I play a game like that, which I don't really do that often, uh, then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to start with all the yellow dots, and then I'm going to go do all the blue dots, and then I'm going to go do all the red dots. When you do that in Breath of the Wild, you still have to climb the tower, and you still get that part of the map filled in for you, and then it stops there. You can look at, mm -hmm. the, topo at the topography of the map and see, okay, there's a river that goes that way. Uh, that looks like it might be a mountain right there. There's a swamp there, and you can read the names of the places. But most of the names of the places are just like such and such flatlands, such and such hill, etc. Um, but what you can do is physically look from the top of that tower. The, I think the interesting thing about Breath of the Wild is that it takes the concept of a tower as a place that you go to to get your bearings and actually uses it for the quality of a tower, which is that it's a very high building that you can see a lot of things from. And they added what I think is an amazing feature, and I don't necessarily know that breath of the wild invented this but they they it's new to zelda at any rate you can stand on top of that mountain zoom in on things that you see off in the distance for for instance a shrine mm -hmm. and then if you've got it centered on your screen you can leave a marker on there and say that's where i want to go and it'll show you on the map where it is that you want to go but instead of the game just telling you yeah here's where the shrine is you mm -hmm. found it yourself and have made it a goal and the game has given you a tool to help you fill the goal that you set for yourself instead of telling you what your goals are and then putting a little arrow at the top of your screen that's like, oh, nope, nope, it's that way, it's that way, it's that way, nope, yep. Yeah, 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think I think sort of the Ubi softening of open world games is what you're describing here. Yes. Uh, and John, you alluded to that a little bit as well. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, and actually, I'm glad to hear Witcher 3 bashing because I've bashed it independently on other episodes of this show. So um, mm-hmm. I feel the same way about it. Um, I still defend I think, Witcher 3. I still like it, but it's got a lot of problems. A lot yeah. Of problems, yeah. Um, and uh, real quick, uh, Dan, did you have anything you wanted to elaborate on? Or No, yeah, it's the open world nature of Legend of Zelda it kind of got lost in the last few games in the series, especially mm-hmm. Skyward Sword, Twilight Princess. Wind Waker had it, but I think Wind Waker's open world, for as much as it's one of my favorite games, was one of the most empty and like boring open worlds they've ever had. I mean, it's a giant fucking ocean. What do you expect? It's a giant fucking <laughs> ocean, yeah. You know, and you get this little tiny island every once in a while, and then like five major islands. Yeah, it, it felt yeah. very weird. Yeah, and okay. Yeah, stepping into like Breath of the Wild, you do it's it's so expansive. It's gigantic. It is incomprehensibly big. And part of that adventure is it goes back to that you don't know what's around the next corner. You can see stuff, but you don't understand what you're looking at, especially early on. Yeah. The more you get into the game, you start kind of piecing together more and more pieces. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first time I saw one of the dragons, like my jaw hit the floor because I wasn't expecting that. Oh, I yeah. didn't expect okay. a, an enormous dragon to come flying over this like river oh, God, in the jungle, so you know, cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's jaw dropping. It's you don't have that in games like and especially I like I know we were talking about Assassin's Creed and Ubisoft. I love those games. They're the worst. Uh, and they've, gotten, <laughs> they've gotten even worse in past years. But you don't have those moments because mm-hmm. it does give you everything. You know, you open the tower, you know, all the assassinations, the contracts, the races, the flags, it's all laid out for you. Breath of the Wild, you don't. You are forced to really do your own story in whatever method and dream you have. Or you can say, fuck it, I just want to go straight into the uh, castle and just take it on as is. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, okay. And I, I agree. Actually, I had that moment with the dragons that you're talking about. So I do yeah. definitely understand that aspect of it. I think my ultimate issue around the open world that Breath of the Wild does not do well, and I think has been largely ignored as a criticism of Breath of the Wild, is that, yes, the player-directed exploration is there, but once I got to those places, even if it was, you know, like one of the little crooks or whatever that jumped up, like, I was almost disappointed that the at the... Lack of diversity when it came to reward, when it came to rewards for exploration. So, like, John, you brought up uh, uh, Elden Ring. Um, yes. I agree that that's a fair comparison. I think what they did differently, though, is that in Elden Ring, I felt like every square inch of that world was created by a person with intent. You know, I felt like, you know, when you explore, and, and granted, there are still reused dungeons, obviously, the catacombs and things like that. Yeah. But, I mean, when I went to the top of a hill, I usually found like a one of a kind spell. Or like a, you know, a new item. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be something like that. Sometimes the view enough is worth it. And sometimes that was the case in Breath of the Wild. But I felt as though once I'd played about 30 minutes of Breath of the Wild, I had seen everything the game was going to reward me with. Specifically because they front load you with so much power at the beginning of the game. You know, for me, the Zelda Zelda was about the dungeons and the getting those new items slowly and becoming this hero out of, you know, what was originally like just a regular kid by, you know, accumulating these strange tools and oddities. And when they sort of just hand you the shake slate and say, go anywhere, but you can go anywhere, 
there's a, in my mind, there's a bit of flattening that happens in the difficulty and in the sort of narrative arc of the game. So you're right about the difficulty flattening. Uh, and that's arguably my biggest problem with Breath of the Wild is that the difficulty gets pretty out of whack, especially if you actually do the thing where you're supposed to free the four guardians or whatever and mm -hmm. then go face scan. And then he's like a joke because at that point you're like super powered. But exactly. In the other regards, nah, man, you're wrong. Uh, yeah, you're straight <laughs> wrong. Yeah, that, that's just that's just not that's just not correct. Um, no, okay. I, I feel like you know you you know at the top of mountains you'll find like random chests or another shrine or like there's that one time you go you find that light that's shaped like a heart or whatever and then it's like just yeah. like a quest that's just right there that you can do. I I think that the world is really packed full of secrets and sometimes it's shit like you know. Like, you see, like, the Lost Woods, and you're like, oh, man, I wonder if I can just parachute into there. And then you try doing that, and then your screen goes black, and then you're, like, knocked out of the mm -hmm. Lost Woods, and you're like, ah, I gotta get in there another way. So yes. you're oftentimes rewarded with knowledge in Breath of the Wild, less than actual items. And mm -hmm. I think that that is a reward in itself. Because one, it's, you know, provides you a sense of satisfaction of, like, oh, I just discovered something. And two, it tells you something that you're gonna look out for later on. Um... You know, other examples would be like, you know, whenever you're going to Zora's Domain for the first time and you get struck by lightning, then it's like, oh, shit. OK, so now I got to be on the lookout for this other places you go in the world. And then the next time you're climbing up a cliff and it starts raining, you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to get struck by lightning. This is really bad. Uh, so I think that Breath of the Wild, I think one does provide a lot of like actual rewards. But two, I think mainly ex exploring the world gains you knowledge of the world. And I think that is the reward you're looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it sounds to me like what you are, what is missing from Breath of the Wild for you is finding hook shots, long shots, um, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, dominion rods, such <laughs> various and sundry additional tools for you to have. And what, what is provided to you is, you know, weapons, shields, bows, um, outfits, uh, oh, yeah, resources, we'll that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, but what one comparison that does come to mind because I I, uh, I had thought maybe that is a criticism of Breath of the Wild that I've heard before. I would compare Breath of the Wild to another game that I think has the problem that you're describing much more seriously than Breath of the Wild does, and that is a game that I like. I feel like we all like. It's Twilight Princess. The thing mm -hmm. with Twilight I don't like Princess Twilight is... Princess. I don't like Twilight Princess. I don't like it at all. I, I don't think like it's, it. Really? It's, it might be my least, least favorite Zelda game. Me too. Yeah. Oh, wow. I like it more than Skyward Sword, but not uh, any of the other ones. I haven't actually played Skyward Sword, but Twilight Princess, I was super disappointed. Sky, so disappointed. So Twilight Princess, you your reward for almost everything is money, 100% of the time. And <laughs> yeah. you yeah. also have a wallet that fills up pretty quickly and there's not very mm -hmm. many things to spend your money on in breath of the wild you your exploration is frequently if aside from rewarding you with an interesting vista or meeting an interesting new character you are more often than not rewarded with money instead of something that might you know an upgrade for a sword or an upgrade you know a new ability yeah. in, a, in a combat tree or something like that you're getting money but unlike in skyward sword there are things to spend your money on that are actually relevant. You can spend money uh, improving your house, which can be a helpful resource. You can spend money at the great fairy fountains, which you will need to do if you want to Im actually improve the equipment that you do have. You need to spend a lot of money to do that. Unlike some of the previous Zelda games where maybe halfway to two-thirds of the way through the game, you're now so rich that it doesn't matter what you do. 
<laughs> you're going to need money for a long time in Breath of the Wild to buy whatever. I mean, um, you late in the game, you can get the really powerful uh, ancient weapons from the mm -hmm. lab in the upper right corner. Um, and those are very expensive. Uh, if you've built Terrytown completely, uh, you get a you unlock a store there where you can buy uh, one of a kind items that you may have lost earlier, like the Hylian shield. Those are very expensive. Uh, and furthermore, just to address one other thing we've mentioned about the open world, I don't a hundred percent agree that it's completely open from the beginning. It is mostly open from the beginning, but mm -hmm. there are some areas that are very powerfully soft locked to you. Like, for instance, yeah. you wouldn't start the game and go to the snowy mountain in the upper left corner of the game. You wouldn't right. really want to go there until you've done at least two of the Divine Beasts, because even though there is nothing there, there's no guardian there, I don't remember there being a memory there, I don't think there's any part of the main quest that's up there, but that's like late game land. You get up there and all the shrines are challenging to get to, um... The enemies are difficult, and if you don't have the warmest clothing in the game, you won't even be able to traverse it without dying unless you brought three zillion uh, warm-up potions. And I think <laughs> yeah. that that's a really well, that's one of the things where Breath of the Wild really succeeds. Is it kind of reminds me of when you see the Herb Tree for the first time in Elden Ring? Mm. It's I like, was gonna yeah cite that as a, a similar sort of breathtaking yeah, experience. You yeah. think like, holy crap, I might actually go there eventually yeah. like i can't go there now but man i'm going to one day and then you know elden ring sure enough you're in altus plateau and boom you're in the city and there's the earth tree you know yeah uh, yep. just like in zelda it's like when you first realize holy shit i can climb up that mountain now the the feeling of growth and satisfaction that you have is just incredible mm -hmm. absolutely okay. I, I think it, going back to that discussion on uh oh god i just lost my train of thought what were we talking <laughs> about no it was Oh, we're talking about the was, reward system money. Yes. Okay. So to me, the fact that they gave you everything at the start, mm -hmm. like, yes, you do have all these items and tools, but you don't have all your equipment. You don't have swords, uh, bows, shields, all your different outfits. And they all are kind of like those tweaks and modifiers that allow you to play your own way. But being given like the bombs and kinesis and all that, you're faced with so many puzzles in that game. There's there's like this infinite number of things to figure out and try, and there's not one singular solution. And taking that Metroidvania aspect out of it, of I can't progress until I get X, Y, or Z, finally makes this world like legitimately open. Because now I, you can go to the mountains. You've got to be very, very careful about how you do it. You know, I was lucky enough when I first went in to uh, Hyrule Castle very early on, that, like, I got lost and I found the Hyrule Shield, like, I before I'd even touched any of the Divine Beasts. Hmm. And it was terrifying. Yes. Like, that was the most terrifying moment of my <laughs> life, is, like, running through there, barely scraping by. Like, it truly felt like I was just trying to survive. And yeah, great, I put myself in a terrible situation for it, but... They'd given me enough tools that if I was careful, if I was stealthy, if I was crafty enough, I mm. could sneak my way through the castle and find some of these late game rewards very early into the run. 
Okay, that's fair, because actually my next criticism was going to be sort of the the mental gymnastics of balancing. Okay, well, some of the regions are soft lock. Oh, but it's, it, it's open. You do have a lot of agency from the beginning. Oh, but, you know, you shouldn't go to the temple, the, the castle at the beginning. You know, it there does feel like a push and pull there, but you're saying you pulled it off, and so I can't really discount that, you know, as something that yeah. is definitely possible, you know? Um, we've said swords, bows, and spears a couple times now, so I do want to get to another issue I have. I'll, I'll concede that, you know, if you're looking for different things, I was disappointed to only get rupees most of the time, and I actually looked up most of the side quests, and that is the reward for most of them. <laughs> I'll concede that there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot more to spend them on. Whether or not that's a good thing, whether or not they should just give you the reward instead of making you shop for them later, you know... I, I'm not totally buying that, but moving on to another you you know, aspect that. of the yeah, game. So that's your only option. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. They don't give it to me. I have to buy it. Um, moving on to the weapon system. I hate weapon degradation in general. I don't think it really serves a purpose other than tedium. And I think that that's one thing that plagues Breath of the Wild is tedium, which is being stuck in menus to change weapons, find weapons, apply potions. You know, I don't like the hunter-gatherer cooking simulation. I just, I felt like there was too much UI, you know, that kept, that I kept having to use mid-battle to pause all the time. But you, but you do like Dark Souls? Okay, <laughs> but Dark Souls <laughs> doesn't, God fucking damn it. Okay, but Dark Souls does let you quick equip items, okay? And I don't spend my time in the battles pausing. I mean, like, I think a better well, comparison would be... Yeah. <laughs> I think a better comparison might be Skyrim, where you have to pause to eat three wheels of cheese, you know, in the middle of a fight. It just breaks the immersion for me. And also just the stress of knowing that my weapon's going to break eventually is annoying. And I didn't notice a huge difference between the weapons. It felt to me like they took what was the sort of like unfleshed out idea of picking up a random weapon in Wind Waker and swinging it around. It just sort of tried to make that an entire game mechanic. And I found it really annoying. So, so yes and no, because okay, I... Like the Lazalfos boomerang. Like, that's your boomerang in the game. It has this extra, like, all of it. Every weapon mm-hmm. has something that it does a little bit more uniquely than others. You know, you've got spears for something if you need to do more long range. You've got the hammers if you're fighting something that's, like, a tankier monster. For me, what really, like, caught my eye and, like, kept me engaged was for the longest time in Breath of the Wild, especially right after the start, I felt like I was just barely scraping by to survive yeah there's <laughs> every battle every time i attacked a camp i was like i've got just enough weaponry to get through here hopefully i pick up a few more things that can give me like a benefit to keep pushing especially on and master that, mode jesus oh my god yeah master yeah. mode is like every time i go into it i love it but it is it is stressful i'm like <laughs> chewing my fingers off halfway through it um <laughs> What I liked about that weapon system was I can't just find the best thing in the game early on and just run with it all the way through. I have to be strategic in what I'm doing. It's the first time in a Zelda game where I've really worried about strategy in terms of how I'm approaching situations. You know, I really scope out a camp and look for, is there explosives? Is there Mm -hmm. boulders I can push down? Is there some distraction I can cause so I can like move enemies away and just run in, steal what I want, and leave. Mm-hmm. And yep. just to interject for a brief second, there is an entire, uh, very infamous shrine in the game that tests your ability to do exactly what you're describing, which of course is uh, whatever it's called, island. The island, oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, that and that 
genuinely might have been one of my favorite parts of that game. It's incredible. It's incredible. Because oh, so you good. land on it and you go like, this is... Because you get so... By the time you get there, you're already like deep into the game. Yeah. You mm-hmm. find it by, you know, it's just this obscure place in the middle of nowhere. And the second you land on it and go, oh my god, like I have to survive again. It adds this whole level of like, you forgot. Because you get to a point where you do feel comfortable and you do feel safe and you feel in control of this world. And they take that away from you again and you go, I'm, I'm useless. Like, I'm absolutely useless again. <laughs> and it's so much fun. I wish I could play that island like just on repeat <laughs> infinitely. <laughs> I do think that, you know, even though I also agree that the weapon breakage is actually brilliant and I think it's one of the best components of the game. I do agree with the tedium aspect it is annoying mm-hmm. to have to constantly re-equip your new shit you know, the and then you swap it out and I, I do think that there could have been like maybe like I, I wish there was a way to maybe like auto-equip a certain weapon when you find it but I yeah. think that like the the principle of it though is that it it keeps you on your toes it makes you it you have to constantly adapt to new circumstances and I think that's mm-hmm. one of the coolest parts of Breath of the Wild is you know to to I think it was I think it was Will that said like you don't just get the best thing in the game you can't just find the best weapon I mean even the Master Sword like can lose its charge mm-hmm. you know yeah and so it forces you to always have to think of creative solutions to your problems um I I, I thought the weapon breaking was brilliant absolutely yeah. brilliant and and but I also understand like that's very not Zelda like and so yeah. I think a lot of people were really shocked when they first saw that but uh I thought it ruled. Yeah, I think I think, yeah, in the context of sort of my traditionalist take on Zelda, which I mean, I was kind of horrified to hear you guys hate Twilight Princess because I actually enjoyed it. Um, I like it. It's but, just uh, I think yeah, it's got I, the worst first 20 hours of any video game I've ever played. <laughs> yeah. Damn. That, OK, yeah. Yeah. everything yeah. past that is great. As soon as you're done with the forest temple, that game's wonderful. But it takes so long to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I I actually do agree with that criticism as well. But um, but yeah, I think what you said is correct in that it was very shocking to someone like me who's like, yeah, you get your little sword, your medium sword, and then you get the master sword, and that's you don't have to worry about weapon degradation. Um, and I think, but you know, to counter my own point a little bit, when you were describing barely scraping by and having to come with alternate solutions, it makes sense in my mind that they would take the emphasis away from weapons because that also forces you to engage with the chemistry and physics systems that they created to come up with non-weapon solutions. So, you know what? I'll concede that one. I I think, I think in the conception of what they were trying to do, de-emphasizing weapons and emphasizing, you know, lighting a torch on fire and setting a field on fire instead, or, you know, using wind to make a bomb go somewhere. Like I can, I can see that forcing you to engage a little bit more. Right. And I, I also, I think one thing that can be lost with uh, with a degrading weapon system is identity in the weapons, feeling like you have an item that's special. There's the Master Sword, which of course is the special sword of the series, but I think Breath of the Wild does have some really unique special weapons, and there are ways to account for um, weapon degradation and still enjoy using weapons that you really like. For instance, finishing each of the Divine Beasts quest lines will get you either a weapon or I think a shield uh, that represented that character and those are all mm-hmm. unique weapons that can be restored if they're lost albeit for some of your money you've been finding um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, there's also uh, like we were talking about the Hylian shield before there are some like really unique um, pieces of equipment that can be found just on the world map and I, I like that there are 
basically each of the four major races with one of their own uh, quest lines, they all have their own armor. There's like a Goron armor, there's a, a uh, Zora mm-hmm. armor with a weapon set that goes with it. There are also several items that you can find that appear to have specific utility. Like many of the heavy Goron items that you find that are weapons in uh, the mountains area are also really useful for breaking rocks. So if you're you know, going around looking for gems late in the game because you want to upgrade your in-game uh, equipment, you're going to need a lot of rubies and topazes and whatnot. You're going to be breaking a lot of rocks. That's great. You could be bombing it, but when you bomb a rock, it shoots your gems 300 feet off into the distance. This way, it makes it easier. So right, there are things that have it's it's not just like crappy sword, and then later in the game you get like mid sword, and then later in the game <laughs> you get pretty good sword, and they're all exactly the same. There are just regular ass weapons like that, but there are also weapons with interesting visuals, styles, effects. Uh, and utilities beyond just fighting that can be found and used. And if you really like one, there's usually a place where you can go back and get another one. If you really, really like using the the uh, Goron staff that, that's essentially a spear, but you can also mine with it, you can just mark on the map where you found it. And then the next time the blood mood comes, you can go back and it'll be there again. Okay. Yeah, I think those are all really good points, you know, as well to touch on that system. And I will concede those as well. I, I you know, the, I, I always like the sort of crossover between weapons and mechanics. I think um, having, uh, like you said, the, the hammer that can also crack rocks, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, I can't argue that that's a good thing to have, you know. Yes. And it also, you know, like I said, it, it underscores the whole interacting with the systems of the game instead of just swinging to hit enemies. So, right. uh, an, yeah. An, another one, just to add one more uh when I actually, when you suggested this to to Facebook a few weeks ago, and I volunteered to do it, I was like, "Well, I'm going to start playing Breath of the Wild again." Actually, because <laughs> um, the new I was going to do it anyways. The new one's coming out. Um, I re- I've loved the game. I've played it three times. I only completely beat it once, but I've never done the DLC, so I've got that look to look forward to. But anyway, nice. I'm in the tutorial plateau at the beginning, and to get through the end of the tutorial plateau, you have to go through the snow area. And that teaches you in the game that there are some places that you physically cannot go without some kind of potion or the game kind of pushes you towards getting the warm doublet um, Mm -hmm. to teach you that certain pieces of equipment can acclimate you to an area that is especially hot or cold. But you can also get a flame blade, I think, on the tutorial Mm -hmm. plateau. And one thing that you can do, if you just have a flame blade equipped, like worn on Link's body, it keeps him mm-hmm. warm enough to go into a cold area. Mm. So that's another another utility provided by a weapon that's also just like cool as fuck. Like it's almost yeah. like immersive sim like in a way. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which I, I think I, is one of the coolest things about the game is that it takes immersive sim mechanics and integrates them into an open world adventure game. Yeah, yeah I, I gotta say, I gotta praise the consistency of the systems. You know, I couldn't really find fault with that. Where, where you would expect something to interact the way that the rules have been established, it does interact that way. So yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give it to you there, too. Uh, at some point, I, I thought of something in our previous topic that I, I wanted to, to add. One thing about receiving all of your items at the beginning of the game is that I don't know how... Uh, we're all Zelda fans here, but one not as well-known Zelda is actually the one immediately prior to Breath of the Wild, um, A Link Between Worlds for the 3DS. Mm-hmm. Link Between and Worlds is so good. Link so Between very, Worlds very is good. very good, so good, and it also begins the game by giving you a shop 
where you can buy all of the special dungeon items instead of finding them in dungeons. Hmm. And like in the second half of the game, do you want to buy the hookshot? Do you want to buy the power glove? Do you want to buy the bow and arrow? Do you want to buy this, that, or that? And you can decide for yourself which order you want to do the dungeons in, and then the world has been adjusted accordingly to allow you to uh, play in the order that you would like with the tools that you have. And that, to me, feels like a sort of rough draft of what they did in Breath of the Wild with mm -hmm. giving you all of your major abilities right at the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can totally see that. Yeah. Um, well, I've made a lot of concessions, and that's making me uncomfortable. I'm just, I'm soaked with sweat underneath this moving blanket that I'm recording under. Uh, back into a corner. Yeah, so <laughs> so I'm going to pull out my, my you know, one of my trump cards remaining, which is uh, the dungeons. Yeah. There, weren't <laughs> there were, yep. Okay. There, were, there were four divine beasts, which we've touched on. I can't remember. I, I honestly tried. I cannot remember any of the bosses, which to me is horrifying. You know, like yeah. I can remember Morpha, Phantom Ganon, even Twin Rova. They're all like puzzle bosses that felt very in their element. And to have that, like the dungeons replaced by what were impressive big hulking creatures in the world, because another comparison I made often is uh, Shadow of the Colossus, one of my favorite yeah. games of all time. And mm -hmm. I think one that is right. in a lot of ways related to this. Um Seeing those, climbing on those, taking them down was an incredible like milestone in my like gaming career, right? Yeah. And even approaching the Divine Beasts is cool for the most part. But when you get to them inside, it felt like it was maybe one or two puzzles that in order to sort of fit with the open-ended spirit didn't really have great solutions or satisfying solutions. And then the bosses were just pretty much terrible. I mean, this is, this is my ace in the hole right now. So <laughs> I'm curious to hear what you guys, how you guys meet that. Well, so good luck. And it's, it's unfortunate that that's your ace in the hole because it's also like the one part of your argument here. I think that's actually very sound. The dungeons are the worst part of breath of the wild and it's not close. Now I still think they're good, but I think what the developers were trying to do is kind of make the dungeons feel like the open world in that the traversal is the puzzle in the dungeons. That ultimately, mm. it's not about like flipping the right switches or pushing the right crates around. It's about how do I get over there? And the coolest example I can remember of that is the, uh, the, the fucking bird dungeon. I forgot what that is. But like mm -hmm. how it it's moving as you're in it. And so mm -hmm. like you have to like, you know, to, it's, it, again, it also reminded me of Shadow of the Colossus and that like, you're inside this giant shifting structure and you have to get from point A to point B. So I think philosophically, that's a really, really cool way to approach Zelda dungeons. And I yeah. think it's mm -hmm. also a nice change of pace from, oh, look, you found the new item. Oh, look, there's a switch there that's a very obvious clue to teach you how to use your new item. Oh, then you're going to use the new item to beat the boss. And mm -hmm. that got, that's part of the reason I hated Twilight Princesses because it was like that formula done again. And I got yes. so tired of it. Yeah. And, but I do agree that the bosses in the dungeons are very unmemorable. And I think that the traversal as the puzzle mechanic wasn't quite fleshed out. Um, so I got to give that one to you. Like, while yeah. I like the dungeons more than you, I do think that they definitely are probably some of the weaker ones in the series. Yeah, and, and I think aside from the mechanics, I think the, the thing that I was really missing personally was the individual character to the interior of the dungeon. Yeah, that's that's the, the big one for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah that's... Is, they, everybody was generic. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. I will say, as far as the Divine Beasts go, um, in Game Maker's Toolkit's series boss keys where he discusses the mechanics of every zelda dungeon incredible series yes very mm, yeah. very good um he describes that there are different 
sort of formats to Zelda dungeons, you have something like the Shadow Temple in Ocarina of Time, which is very atmospheric and cool, but it is very much just like, there's a locked door, you must solve a puzzle in that room to get the key to that door, you open the door, here's the next room, Mm -hmm. you do the same thing again. Maybe you fight a boss, maybe you solve a puzzle, but it's just a loop of... There's no sense of space to the structure. You're just going deeper into essentially a linear cave, solving mm-hmm. one puzzle at a time. Um, the Divine Beasts of Breath of the Wild are much more akin to something like the um, Great Bay Temple in Majora's Mask. Now, I will say uh, Great Bay Temple yeah. does what it does much better, in my mm. view, than the that is Divine Beasts comparison. do. But in the, inside the Divine Beasts, like yeah. the bird that you mentioned, you know, you tilt it to the left or to the right to, to reach somewhere. Mm-hmm. Inside the camel, you rotate the um, the different portions of the body of the camel to mm-hmm. create electrical currents. And doing those things absolutely does force you to think of the space that you're in, albeit a small and not very memorable or characterized space. But it forces you to think of it as one large thing where everything that you do in it affects something else in there. And mm. so I I think it was a decent idea, but that is one of my biggest hopes for Tears of the Kingdom is that they find a way to utilize that, but with places that have more of a sense of uh, character, story to them beyond just we're inside of a giant robot. Um, yeah. And even yeah. if... If nothing else, they could I frankly I think of Breath of the Wild in a different category than Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, mm. Wind Waker. Just yeah. pretty much entirely because when I play those games, I love the dungeons of them so very much. Yeah. And I don't get that from Breath of the Wild. I still mm-hmm. love Breath of the Wild very much. And I enjoy doing the um shrines and the divine beasts. But that is no no longer the focal point of my experience playing those playing the game. Yeah. So for me, like yes, the loss of the dungeons did hurt, but they were made up for by how diverse and how interesting every shrine was. Yeah. That I oh, didn't okay. feel like I had missed out on like that dungeon crawling experience of Zelda, because every like there's so many different shrines, and like yeah, there are some that are very like beat this guardian like yeah whatever mm-hmm. easy but there were so many other ones that were like these big complex laid out areas and you just stare for like god knows how long to kind of get an idea of oh okay if i could get this to move through here then everything else opens up for me afterwards i was just gonna say real quick i'm surprised to hear you guys supporting because that's something i forgot to talk about is the shrines i fucking hate the idea that there are shrines <laughs> and the reason is to me, it's the same thing as the Divine Beasts, where once you've seen the interior of one, there's no character that changes across the shrines. You've seen them all, basically, you know, from a visual perspective and a design yeah. perspective. Um, but the other thing is that it feels to me like they just took the dungeons and deconstructed them across the game. And in that way, sort of missed the point of having these big dungeons. I think, John, I meant to say this earlier, but when you made the Elden Ring comparison... Elden Ring has dungeons, and each one of them has a unique character to it. You know, uh, and unique, unique. Do they? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, so do, but you know, but, I think you mean the legacy so, dungeons specifically. Oh right? yeah, yes. legacy dungeons yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. The, the catacombs are you know you've seen they're photocopied, but yeah. um, the you know, the legacy dungeons. Yeah, they have their own unique enemies. That is they've true. Yeah. you know that kind of they've got their unique visual style. They've got their unique place in the lore. 
you know, which I thought was a, a big part of the backbone to Elden Ring is how every place is a living part of the lore of the world. Yeah. And when you have so many repeated instances of the shrines across the whole map, I was just like, I, you know, I sort of lost the thread there at some point. And I got bored with them. Right. Well, to me, and to, to me right here, you are comparing at pretty much every example of an open world game I've ever played has had large story dungeons with a specific feeling to them and then photocopied little dungeons that there are a gazillion of skyrim has them uh breath of the wild has them i mm -hmm. guess the witcher probably has them and i don't think it's fair to expect breath of the wild's photocopied dungeons to not be photocopies of each other when we're just we were just saying how sky uh skyrim has them elden ring has them and elden ring every one of them that you go into for the most part is still just catacombs with the annoying little stone imps or whatever. But uh, the point that I was making is that they all look the same. They might have a different puzzle in each one, but that's also equally true of the shrines. Now, it's still true that to compare the legacy dungeons of uh, Elden Ring to the Divine Beasts of Breath of the Wild, I definitely prefer the legacy dungeons in, in Elden Ring. But I don't think you can say that I don't think it's fair to criticize the shrines in Breath of the Wild for not being like the forest temple yeah. or something. They're they're not meant to be that. They're supposed they're meant to be a little bite of here's an interesting idea. Maybe if it's an especially interesting one, they might give you a second, more complicated iteration of that idea. And it's like a little bite sized chunk of Zelda yeah. dungeon that that you get to do that uh, is over. You know, it's there long enough to be interesting, but it's not there so long that you get tired of it. I think, too, that, like, the the shrines... I, I agree that, like, I, I do like how Elden Ring integrates its dungeons into the open world. And I think I would have maybe preferred that for Breath of the Wild. But I think the shrines have an advantage in that they allow for an incredible amount of variety. Because rather than having to have the little puzzles or, like, vignettes interlinked, or, like, having to have them work together, like they do in a traditional Zelda dungeon... Like, they can be these kind of one-off experiments, which I think is really cool. Like, mm -hmm. one of the best ones that I remember from the game, and that also ties into the sort of immersive semi-nature of Breath of the Wild, is the one with the moving platform that you have to use the motion controls to work mm -hmm. with. And mm -hmm. you can just, if you're playing in portable mode, just turn the switch over. Yeah. And then you then the backside of the maze turns <laughs> over and it's just flat and you can just roll the ball across a flat surface. Like that's the type of like, you know, th that to me is very brave because it, it basically says that like players might break this or play it in a way that's not intended. But that's sort of the spirit of the game is that right. like <laughs> it, it's and designed for players to make their own fun. And right, yeah. I think the shrines do offer a lot of opportunities for that. That is really cool. Yeah, and that specific shrine, too, I think is a great example of them allowing player agency and to do things that feel kind of like they might be breaking the game. And the reason to me that it feels like a specific choice on the part of the developers and not like, a, oh, crap, we didn't realize you could just turn it upside down is I'm about 99% sure there is another more complicated version of that same puzzle later in the game. And on that yes. one, the bot, the underside of the platform has a different maze on it. Like, Oh, you thought this was one <laughs> yes. surprise. Bitch. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dan, I think I initially cut you off to sort of oh, to talk about the shrines in general as, as sort of being surprised that they were a positive. Did you have anything else you wanted to add initially to the shrines? No, I think we kind of hit on it, which is there's so much variety in terms of what they offer. And you know, there there are pieces of Zelda games that people don't like. That's every mm -hmm. game, you know, maybe one puzzle is too hard or the combat's too difficult. 
mm-hmm. with the shrines, it kind of lets you tackle. And very easily, you can kind of perceive when you get into those shrines, oh, this isn't like what I'm like playing this for. But if you're like mm-hmm. in love with the puzzle solving and these like big complex mechanisms and figuring out how they work and how to like get past them, you've got the option to like tackle a bunch of that. Or if you're more into the combat and like, I want to farm better weapons, you drop into those guardian shrines and you've got these, you know, and granted, once you kind of get the feel for their patterns, it's like, yeah, it's just drop in and do it. But initially, like learning all those different movement patterns and like how to react, mm-hmm. like that's a puzzle in itself. Like even the combat felt very much involved in we're going to keep throwing puzzles at you this whole game. If that's not what you're about, you're probably not going to go very far in this. That the shrines also focus as fast travel points, I think, is also a really smart game decision. Yes. Because Mm -hmm. it makes finding those fast travel points not just like, oh, you discovered a signpost. It's like, you found a fast travel point and also a little puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. I I will say, Sam, Breath of the Wild's bosses are nothing next to most Zelda games. Um, Yeah, they're pretty They are not the one thing i will say in their favor is that i don't like skyward swords combat at all because it Mm -hmm. uses utilizes the motion controls in a way that to me was not fun whatsoever it turned average encounters with average enemies into like a make sure i'm waving my wiimote in the right direction (laughs) puzzle that was often more frustrating than anything because i thought i was doing it correctly and i wasn't before mm-hmm. that, you were playing games where you just mash B to win, and that was much more fun than trying to like <laughs> hold my sword at the at a seventy five point six degree angle to where it's going to go through this stupid Lizalfos's defenses or something. Yeah, the best thing I can say about Breath of the Wild's bosses is at least it's not that shit again. And there's like <laughs> there is a method to it. Like I don't yeah. really particularly remember Thunderblight or Fireblight Ganon or any of those things, but when I fight them, I uh. You know, I've I've beaten most of them, I think, three times now, and for the most part, when I'm fighting them, sometimes I have to remember, like, oh, that's right, there is a trick to this guy, there is a method that you have to do utilizing mm-hmm. a skill that I have, and I need to remember what that is and how to do it. And sometimes, if you can't do that, you can still just brute force your way through it in, the, in what we were just talking about in their propensity for giving you multiple ways to do something. You can just get out your bomb arrows and shoot them, like, 75 times. <laughs> but yeah, yeah there's options yeah and there's an intended way to do it so at least it's better than nothing sorry that's sorry, a big area of improvement for the next one yeah go ahead yeah yeah no no i was just gonna say that's a good jumping off point for the next sort of you know part of my argument you know i'm feeling confident after that so i'm gonna overextend myself surely here but um the ganon um calamity ganon uh the lore i felt was fine it's interesting that it's so far in the future um the design of Ganon himself, though, uh, I was not sold, and I thought the fight was boring. I think one of you already mentioned that, like, if you go there late game, which you're supposed to do because he's the late game boss, you pretty much steamroll him. Um, and I thought that he also lost a lot of his character. Like, he was scary in Ocarina of Time. He was scary in Link to the Past. And in this game, it was sort of a weird spider contraption that turned into a, you know, kind of poorly designed pig thing, you know, which I know is the, I know the pig thing is obviously his true form, but like, I'm just saying it's not the best iteration I've seen. And I also want to highlight that like, they didn't have to use Ganon again for this. Like Majora's Mask, I think is one of my favorite, if not, if not my top favorite. And it completely sort of excuse the whole, you know, hero of time yeah. burden, I would say, right. you know? So, I mean, how did you guys feel Ganon wise? I thought Ganon was fine. 
I, I, I liked the idea of Ganon not as a person, but like as this weird, like amorphous, formless, ancient evil. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really cool, actually. And I thought it was kind of a fun reinterpretation of it. I do agree the fight with him is not particularly memorable, although I disagree in that I think the final form of Ganon, where you're fighting him like out in the field, that shit rules. It that is, was a it was better part of the fight. Yeah, the, pre- yeah. The, the presentation and the spectacle of it whips ass. I thought it was yes. fantastic. <laughs> uh, but the first fight, yeah, I could kind of take it or leave it, honestly. Yeah, and um, getting it, sorry, getting to him is such an incredible spectacle too. That makes for Yeah, just going through the finality. castle there and everything and like walking through like the fields of guardians even when you're like super OP towards the end of the game, it's still a pretty mm-hmm. intense and like very it's nerve-wracking feeling. Yeah, yeah. it's nerve-wracking, yeah. That is one of the few, the approach to the castle and doing the castle was one of the few times in the game where I felt my itches for Zelda scratched. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I like the castle. Um, I like the approach, but then the boss was a letdown. So even that for me was that sort of fumbled it in the one moment that I sort of really, you know, was feeling a kinship with it again. Yeah. Um, right. as, as far as a um, interpretation of Ganon from a story perspective, I think Breath of the Wild, and Dan, I remember you mentioned earlier that you had been a scholar on Zelda yes. lore. Yes, there's um, a discussion here that I was going to jump in with. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Breath of the Wild brings a very interesting thing to the forefront in the discussion of Zelda lore, which is the word legend in the title. Um, because there are many things in the lore of Breath of the Wild that do not jive like at all with the established lore of other games. In, in Ocarina of Time, they worship the goddesses Din... Uh, Nehru and Furor, but in Breath of the Wild there is one goddess, and her name is Hylia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the regions resemble names of names from uh, other places, uh, like La Nehru and so forth. Yes. But I think it um, it kind of establishes that these, what we're seeing are maybe myths uh, or retold stories over generations from this place that uh, have certain things in common, but aren't necessarily uh, one real actual story following each following from specific event to specific event on a single united timeline. And I know there's even among people who can connect every Zelda game to each other. Don't say that there's one single timeline, but like my friends mm-hmm, has a theory about the Mad Max movies <laughs> that, um, that each Mad Max movie feels so different from the others because they are all stories about this legendary character, Mad Max, that have been passed down by other huh. people in this wasteland, which is why Fury Road feels so different from Mad Max 1 or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's how you can say, well, in Ocarina of Time, Ganondorf is a man who's come from this legendary all-female race. He's the Prince of Thieves, XYZ, and he's used the power of the Triforce to become a big monster. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Breath of the Wild, suddenly he's kind of like Gigas from Earthbound, just an unspeakable, unknowable, practically Lovecraftian evil that you can't even comprehend, and that the power of the gods is required to defeat. That You don't get the impression that Ganon in Breath of the Wild was ever a man. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it's interesting to see this character interpreted in that way, and I think it is due to the fact that the game is uh, set within the realm of legends. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think that's a good segue then also into Dan, you know, let's, let's do a little sidebar and talk (laughs) lore wise. Yeah. So, uh, 
Take it away. You know, what, what, do you, what do you got to say? Do you want to set a foundation? My understanding real quick is that this game takes place a thousand years, 10,000 years after every other game conceivably. And you are playing as Link a hundred years after he has uh, essentially been entombed for healing. Is that correct for at least this game? Yes. So essentially Breath of the Wild story is Link and Zelda are facing Calamity again. Link fails and in order to do what she can, Zelda locks him away, hides the sword, and basically is like, Link, just fucking get better and see you when you get here. <laughs> and it took 100 good, years. Yeah. yeah, get good. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So there's a lot about story that we could get, jump into, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And it does tie into, like, Ganon as this formless, ageless evil, and that starts with Skyward Sword. You know, with demise, right? Yeah, demi hmm. uh, demise. It's you've got this repeating story of the evil versus the hero versus the princess, and like they are forced to like constantly relive essentially this nightmare against each other, and they are mm -hmm. made to do that. And demise is definitely like this supposed to be this formless, shapeless, horrible thing, and even Skyward Swords Ganondorf wasn't like our traditional Ganondorf. He was mm -hmm. this larger-than-life freak of nature, just hulking monstrosity. Um, you've got the timeline. It splits into three different timelines after Ocarina of Time. Uh, mm -hmm. Child form, adult form, and then if they failed to stop Ganon at all. Skyward Sword was the idea that we... Or not Skyward Sword, sorry. Breath of the Wild was the idea that we recollapse all these timelines into one and i think when we're talking about how there's all these weird inconsistencies else because you've had all these different universes kind of like as time goes on things are lost things are changed stories mm -hmm. you know adapt and grow but you look at like the three dragons there din Faror, and naru uh mm -hmm. you're looking at the goddess hylia we've been hearing about her since ocarina of time you've got this very fleshed out lore if you want it where right know, right all these things have converged you know you can wear majora's mask in breath of the wild do i agree that that should have been in there <laughs> eh. <laughs> was it cool that it did make it a hundred percent um right. <laughs> like yeah it's exciting that it was there lore wise it's a nightmare but you know we'll let it happen um, leave it to the scholars on that one exactly you know, yeah. yeah um <laughs> yeah to me, what was so fascinating is we've had all these different games, and they all, you know, sans, you know, a few titles, they all take place in Hyrule. And you can look at all these growths and changes and, like, migratory patterns of different races over time because of, like, how that landscape has continually changed. And to see all of them kind of collapsing back into one and just how messy that looks. It's very interesting to me. Um, yeah. And we get Ganon as this terrifying nightmare. And without talking too much, because I don't know a ton, but we're looking at Tears of the Kingdom. And, like, it's very clear that, like, the human form of Ganondorf is going to play a much more significant role than just this formless, shapeless evil. And I'm mm -hmm. interested to see how that story is going to kind of retcon. What I do agree is that Ganon felt not as imposing in Breath of the Wild. Because mm -hmm. when you make something that big, that name is, again, like Gygus, it's 
you don't really feel connected. You don't feel threatened. Right, right. It's it's more like a force of nature than a villain. Exactly. You know? And so I'd like to see them go back to the roots on it. And it mm-hmm. looks like they, they took the, the criticism and they're running with it. Yeah, I'll be super curious to see how that evolves as well. I mean, full disclosure, I'm going to play Tears of the Kingdom. Like, yeah. I, you know, yeah, and honestly, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> After this, I'll probably replay Breath of the Wild, to be honest. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I think... I'm not going to count this Ganon as a win necessarily because I think it's just a lot of these points have felt to me like different expectations and different things that yep. we wanted out of the game. And oh, I think yeah. that that gets to me to sort of circling back to the, you know, at the very beginning I said this, but I think you, you all identified what you liked about the Zelda series. I identified what I liked. And I think that if you're looking at it from your perspective and went in with the things that you like about it, then I think Breath of the Wild is a successful game then, you know, a very successful one, you know, a masterpiece for sure. It, it still falls short for me. It's not the Zelda that I wanted. And I'm also disappointed to see that open world is going to be sort of the standard going forward. You know, I I hope that they improve on like the dungeons, the character of the environments, those kind of things. Um, But yeah, I I think I've got my corner. I don't think I've shifted. I'm going to replay the game and I don't think I've shifted any of your opinions. Certainly. Um, But you know what? You're right. Actually, I hate it now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Fucking right. Yes. Okay, good. Um, no, but, uh, I mean, if there's anything else you guys want to cover, I think we're at a good point here where we pretty much understand the positions. Um, we've, we've analyzed the game really well. Uh, thanks again to all of you for your time. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to say about the game before I sort of wrap things up a little bit? The one thing I'll say is that I think Breath of the Wild, I think represents a very important turning point in Zelda's history that, you know, you mentioned that like open world is probably going to be the standard going forward. And I think that's definitely going to be true, at least for the next couple of games. But I mm-hmm. think that ultimately Nintendo will have to reinvent the series again because, yeah. you know, the 3D Zeldas set a template that got very dull by you know the time Skyward Sword came out. And then Breath of the Wild just like completely reinvigorated the franchise by trying something incredibly new. And mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if we see a smaller scale kind of stripped back Zelda again someday, because I think that the series has survived this long because of its willingness to do new things. And I think Breath of the Wild honestly kind of saved the series from the doldrums in a lot of ways. And I think Nintendo will probably get caught in another mode there where they're like, oh, people are tired of open world Zeldas. Let's do something different again. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I think that the series will continue to grow and change a lot over time. And I mean, at least I hope it does, because that's how it's going to stay relevant. Right. I eagerly await the second coming of Linear Zelda. (laughs) Right. To me, I think, uh, I I feel like a lot of people agree that the dungeons and bosses in previous Zelda games had much more character than those of Breath of the Wild. And if I was Nintendo, I feel like they, there's no way they're not aware of the disparity between even like a mid-dungeon in Twilight Princess versus any divine beast in Breath of the Mm -hmm. Wild. I think it would be foolish of them to not try and re- to not recognize that to many people, the identity of the Legend of Zelda as a series is its dungeons and to try and do a better job serving that part of the identity in Tears of the Kingdom. I That's what I hope they will do. If they make another one with another 120 shrines and another four divine beasts, I'll probably still love it. I will wish they had done <laughs> something else with it, but yeah. I like Breath of the Wild as it is and more of that I would certainly enjoy. I also know that Nintendo doesn't usually just make a sequel to something that is more of the same, at least not with The Legend yeah. of Zelda. Yeah. Yeah. 
Unless it's Twilight Princess or Skyward. <laughs> Unless it's Twilight. <laughs> I mean, Skyward Sword had the combat, but I digress. Yeah, yeah they tried yeah. something with Skyward Sword. It just didn't work. Yeah, yeah. they sure did. <laughs> yep. I think you touched on something really important, which was the character. Like, it did feel very, in terms of like dungeon layout, bosses, things like that. There was a lot of character that was lost. That really is iconic to the Zelda series. You know, you look at Morpho, you look at uh, Beneiru. You've got all these cool fucking bosses that are so memorable. Mm-hmm. But I will say, Hyrule felt more memorable and more distinct. And in a way, it was its own character in this game. Absolutely, 100%. Because you're constantly just out in that world. And again, it's it's that sense of, I don't know what's around the next corner. You know, you run into these villages and you'll find weird random side quests, whether it's I've got to cook something or I need this out of the castle or, mm-hmm. you know, this has been stolen by like a band of moblins. Like you had <laughs> this sense of more so than in any other game, I think that the world was so alive. And yeah, I genuinely like, and I haven't talked about it, but I hate open world games. Like I <laughs> like Skyrim. I have given it, I don't know how many times I've tried to play through it, and Skyrim's I just can't. Mood. I, yeah, yeah, I can't I like do Skyrim. it. Uh, Witcher, all of it. I, the only reason Assassin's Creed is because I like the gameplay loop of like assassinating information. Yeah, mm-hmm. essentially, like this was the first time that I felt like an open world game genuinely gave me reason to explore it and be in it because it's not just a bunch of like random little side missions. They're all these things that tie together in some way, shape, or form. You know, I find this labyrinth. What's in the middle of it? And, like, can I sneak around in some way and, like, get out of it? And Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. You can fly into the middle <laughs> of one if you're careful enough. Yeah. I, th- I think the what you said about Hy- Hyrule being a character of itself was my sort of, like, villain, like, nanny moment, like, where it just, like, <laughs> struck me. And I was like, you know, that, I think that, that, um, I think you guys take the cake for this one. Yeah. So that means that you have to give us a link shout. Yeah. Thank. Oh God, I've been waiting for that all afternoon. All right, there you go. You guys got it. Uh, All right. Um, (laughs) All right. So I'm going to continue on to uh, instead of since I've lost this round, instead of Indy instead, I'm going to call it Indian Edition. And I want to hear you guys, you know, interject if you, you know, boo, hiss, you know, cheer, whatever. If you think these games are worthy of this comparison, but the indie games I've picked to sort of compare, you know, if you like Zelda, play these games. Hyperlight Drifter, top of my list for sure. Yeah, 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 Um, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, Turnip Boy commits tax evasion. Looks like a fun dungeon boss run. Uh, very highly rated indie game. Um, Chicory, a colorful tale for something a little bit more um, puzzle-oriented, slower. I don't think there's any combat. Um, Sable, if you're into the 3D exploration uh, you know, aspects of Breath of the Wild. Uh, Noita for the chemistry system that it involves yep. in, in the entire game, which is, you know, frankly, absurdly complex. And then this last one I sort of just looked up. Um, so take it with the disclaimer, but Anodyne is also supposed to be a pretty good comparison to uh, Link, Link to the Past style adventure. So those are the games that I would suggest folks try out in addition to Breath of the Wild uh, instead of instead of. Um, I think there is one critical omission from your list, and that is Tunic. Yep. That was on, uh, that was gonna be mine. Yeah, yeah. Tunic okay. is phenomenal. It's so 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 good. It, it gets a little bit repetitive sometimes, but like it, it is 
I think it's like the perfect mashup of like the the mysterious nature of Breath of the Wild with like the more straightforward kind of Metroidvania e structure of something like Link to the Past. It's absolutely fantastic. It's on Game Pass too, so uh, go play. Oh. It's amazing. Have you guys awesome. ever heard of this little indie game called um, Genshin Impact? Yeah, I was gonna say that's another one, but Mrs. <laughs> you know, I actually Zelda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually heard somebody somebody this morning I was talking to them about recording this show, and they actually mentioned Genshin Impact as a comparison to Breath of the Wild. And I was skeptical at first, uh, but you guys are clearly aware of this comparison. Yes. Yes. So uh, I don't know that much about Genshin Impact. So is it is it really you know, is it a fair comparison? Is it an unflattering comparison? I think it's a game it, 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 <laughs> I have not played it, uh, but from what I hear about it, it is like one of the first games in the immediate wake of Breath of the Wild that is clearly inspired by the gameplay loop and world of Breath of the Wild. That's yeah. about all gotcha. I feel comfortable saying about it. That's pretty much what it's... I know, too. That, and I always see weird porn of the Genshin Impact characters come up on my Reddit feed. <laughs> That's and the other half also, of it. <laughs> there is a Hulu. Gotcha. There is a Hulu commercial for it that just has, like, this pan flute music playing, and then it's just, like, some anime girl, like, hmm, observe, and then she does, like, this, like, whirling move, and then it's, like, Genshin Impact play now, and it's, <laughs> it's so, I've never quite known, except that she just, like, has the most generic-ass anime line ever. Uh, like, observe gotcha. what? What are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't so, know. basically just a Rule 34 content channel. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But, I mean, hey, I mean, I, play over, I played Overwatch, so I can't really complain about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> also, Darksiders. If, Darksiders, yes. okay. It's, oh, yeah, it's not necessarily indie per se, and it's significantly <laughs> older, but like I think a lot of people slept on that game, and it holds up. It's real good. Nice. People also said Okami was heavily inspired by Zelda, yes. as I recall. Okami was yeah, I do remember that I've never played Okami. I, I wanted to play it when it came out, and then like 16 years later, still haven't. So. It is 100% worth, like... A playthrough. It is so phenomenal. Yeah. Nice. Sweet. Nice. All right. Well, I'm going to declare myself the loser of my first episode of Versus Mode. Um, yep, pretty much. <laughs> uh, but uh, I want to I thank you guys very sincerely for being on the first episode and for lending your expertise uh, in tearing down my opinion. And, uh, you know, I, I have hot takes and I appreciate when they're broken so I can maybe try and love this game again. Um, so I'm going to let you guys, you know, anything you guys want to plug before we sign off? Yeah, thanks for having us, man. Uh, if you want to hear more of my opinions on video games, you can find me at at love2cuss69 on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I also run a YouTube channel that I haven't updated in two years called Bread and Circuses, if you want to check that out. Um, yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. Well, um... I don't really have anything much where I discuss video games, but uh, if you're interested in my film opinions, you can find those on letterboxd.com slash billymack, uh, and I tweet about whatever is on my mind. Uh, my Twitter is just willgmcgee. Nice. And then Dan? Uh, you're pretty much going to find me most often on Instagram. That's where I'm doing most of my content and stuff, uh, and that's just at Dan Dangerously. Sweet. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the first episode of Versus Mode. We will be back with my next hot take soon, which is that virtual reality is just a fad. Uh, catch you guys later, and thanks for listening to another episode of Under 1000. Ha! Yeah!